Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Good morning. This is Attorney Vince Davis, and you're on with Get Your Kids Back Now, a show dedicated to fighting child protective services. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. The secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning and happy Veterans Day. Uh, today's show, we're going to be taking calls as we usually do. People will be sharing their stories or asking questions or a little of both. And we also are going to talk about some topics of juvenile dependency court hearings. Um, I've been getting emails that I haven't been giving enough information with respect to these hearings and what should be done at these hearings. So we're going to do that today, and we're going to start off with some tips. At one of the hearings that some of you may be um, approaching or have already gone through, it's called the 366.26 hearing, referred to by attorneys throughout the state as the 26 hearing. It's officially called the Selection and Implementation Hearing, and it's a hearing that um, occurs towards the end of the case, and generally speaking, it's the hearing where the judge has to pick a permanent plan for the child. The most favorite permanent plan is adoption, where they terminate the parental and familial rights, unless the caretaker is a relative, and the child is adopted. The second permanent plan is the <clears throat> legal guardianship. And the third permanent plan is long-term foster care. In the last two permanent plans, the parental rights and the familial rights remain intact. The tip that I'd like to give people at the um, for the 366.26 hearing is that in most cases, the social worker is going to recommend adoption and termination of your parental rights. So one of the exceptions that uh, you can prove is that there is a bond between the parent and the child such that termination of the parental rights would not be in the best interest of the child. Proving that can be very difficult under legal standards here in California as the law is interpreted by the appellate courts uh, at this stage of our lives. So what I would suggest is that prior to the hearing, maybe eight weeks, 12 weeks, or right after the hearing is set or as the hearing is set, you and your attorney must request what's called a bonding study. A bonding study is where a psychiatrist or a psychologist interviews you and the child to see if that bond, if that relationship exists such that it would be detrimental to not, or detrimental to terminate the child uh, or your parental rights from the child. Now remember, once a person's parental rights are terminated, that frees the child so that the foster parent or the relative caretaker can adopt the child. If a non-related foster parent adopts the child, the parent and the family have no legal relationship to the child and have no rights for visitation. So that's a very significant thing. And then, of course, there are the kind of cases which I think are kind of strange where a relative wants to adopt the child. A lot of this is financially based, in my humble opinion, because uh, when rights are terminated and children are adopted, both the county uh, where this action is taking place and the um, person adopting the child um, get financial incentives and tax incentives and 
payments from the federal government. So yes, there are financial uh, incentives to adopting a child in the juvenile dependency court system. So remember, ask for the bonding study. Ask for the court to order the bonding study, and it should be done early because it may take four to six weeks uh, for that bonding study to be completed. And you want to make sure that um, you and your attorney ask for that. Um, I'm going to take a quick call from area code 562, Indian 17. Good morning. Good morning. You're on with attorney Vincent. Did you have a story to tell? Yeah, hi. A question to ask? Hey. Well, I have kind of both, but I, I'd like to start off with the story. Um, um, first of all, I want to thank everything you do for me, um, Vincent. I've been a long time relationship because of my extremely uh, terrible dependency case. But um, I've been in the systems. It's going to be almost going on two and a half years. And um, what I'd like to share is how the um, uh, the social worker treats you as a human being and it's been a very demeaning process for such a length of time that is very demoralizing and can be very stressful on trying to deal with all the other issues you're trying to do trying to get your children back the social workers have been a dime a dozen meaning that just come through evolving doors you starts off and at first, I was buffaloed or fooled into thinking that uh, uh, social services, if you're decent with them and honest with them and, and you answer everything they want, they would help you get your kids back. But that's not been the case in my case. And after a period of time, they make promises that they never keep, and then they do their storytelling. And what's so sad is that no matter if you reboot what they say, the judge doesn't care. The lawyers don't care. No one really, social services don't care. They build a case. And what they've done with me, they've done a very demoralizing, a very dehumanizing uh, abuse. I mean, our whole family's been taken apart. This social worker that's been with me for, oh God, seems like a year, a year and a half, has done nothing more than um, destroy a family that once cared about each other. My oldest son, who's back with us, has really changed. He isn't the same boy he used to be. Um, and my youngest son, who is still uh, in their horror camp, I don't know what else to call it. This feels like this has been a war and that uh, my kids have been put into prison. The kids were kept together and they never were. And the social worker did everything they can do to um, uh, uh, break the family apart. They would make up all kinds of lies and stories that weren't true. The greatest fabrication they have is that uh, back in April, um, when I was lost my house, I mean, I, no, I lost my kids, my dad, my mom, my dogs. I, I lost everything, my job, everything, because of the social services. And so what they've done is they've taken me and broken me to the point where I just sometimes just want to throw in the towel. And so they accuse me wrongly is violating a restraining order. And their punishment is, as a social worker, they take away your car allotment and they would give you a, a bus pass so you could ride the buses to get to the places you want to do because economically, that's my whole problem is my economics. And so, um, uh, and, and then they, uh, you know, they reneged. We had a 14-step plan that promised our young son be back in time for last Thanksgiving. Well, here it is, Thanksgiving again, and uh, sure enough, they postponed a hearing in October that's now gone to next week, and of course, that hearing will probably get postponed again, knowing the ammo of social service and the worker. This worker is in her mid-20s. She's single. She doesn't believe in God. I'm not saying anything wrong about people not believing in God, but I think you have to believe in something, and she's from a third world, and she's come to this country and has solely been anointed and empowered by all the people in uh, CFS. I mean, it's like, uh, it's like, uh, it's a witch hunt. And they're constantly just making up stories. It's funny. I say nothing. I said nothing for a year and they have more stories to tell. It's the most appalling thing that they uh, allow to uh, do. And so um, I want to share all the listeners out there is that um, uh, not all 
social services like this. I imagine I'm just one of the few that somehow got a bad apple, but this person has been so vindictive, so mean, so cruel. I mean, and used our kids, deploy it. My poor little boy, every time I see him, I only see him four hours now. And that, that's my punishment with a monitor. And the monitor is so bad. I mean, you're talking to someone who's like 12 inches away from you. How can you interact with your child? Every time I get up, I bump into her. Every time I try to go around and do something with my son, I'm falling over her. And she sits there the whole time on a dictating machine, just sitting there typing everything like he breathed. He winked his eye. He moved here. And it's a complete waste of money and time and services. This isn't helping to reunite a family. This isn't getting the family back again. The worst one is my daughter. My daughter I have not seen. You know, since May 2nd of 2015, you know how long that is? I mean, this is my daughter who's, you know, uh, 12 years, uh, 11 years at the time, and now she's 15. And I have had no word, nothing from her. And lately, she was with my wife's uh, sister, but they moved out on the 15th of October. And now it's November, and I have no idea where she is. We don't know if she finished school last year. We don't know where the school is. The social worker ignores all the requests. Anything we do in there, it's like that. Now, here comes Thanksgiving, and we try to get together as a family. Last Thanksgiving, we're all together for our daughter. And the social worker became our monitor and went to the Thanksgiving. This Thanksgiving, I don't know what's going to happen. We have a little boy who's 12 now, you know, who's been the smartest, brilliant little boy. He keeps telling for two and a half years, mom and dad are loving parents. And mom and dad have their differences but need to work it out, be friends. But why can't they listen to me? Mom and dad did nothing wrong. I want to be with my mom and dad. And he's 12, and they won't listen to him even at 12. They listen to my daughter who wants to divorce their parents for whatever reason that she's been convinced of by the social worker. They brainwash the kids. Um, this, is, this is like all the horror stories you hear about World War II. I've been living them. I've been living them. And it's been a very terrible it hurts. It hurts with a lot of emotion. I'm sitting here trying my best to keep his face. My question to you, Vincent, is, you know, where's my daughter? Why can't no one respond to a request that tells our daughter's with foster care, our daughter's back with my sister, or my daughter is, you know, finished school? What grade she get? We can't. We have our education rights, but the social worker refuses. The social worker is a pompous ass. We even got her on the stand, and she lied, and she lied, and lied, and the judge just flips around. The judge is like a little butterfly. I mean, he's just, it's the most archaic thing. He said such rude things in court that aren't true. You know, everybody is against you. It's been like that. And it's, just, it's frustrating because I am really breaking down. I can't function. I can't find work. I lost money. I just spent, you know, $170,000 in legal fees, and I got nothing. I don't even have my, I mean, I see my, I'm technically, my son, suppose he does at 18, the restraining order has been lifted, but it's still not been taken care of. And I'm a mess, Vincent. I'm sorry. I'm just a mess. And I'm just telling the readers out there, I'm trying not to give up. Um, I don't know what else to say, but social workers are bad. I just have never seen a system in our government and stuff. I thought the federal government was bad at certain things and, and certain things, but it's been a witch hunt for me. And why? And, you know, I'm a 67-year-old senior, and I've worked hard. I started working in 1964. Unfortunately, the state of California went bankrupt. I lost my contracts with them, my construction contracts. And I've been so hard at 67 trying to get a job, especially at the level I was at. So it's like, yes, economically, I was in bad straits. Yes, I, I did have some issues, but they've gone overboard. They've fabricated things. They've been on a witch hunt. And it just goes on and on and on. And, and Vincent, I just, I need you. I just really need your help. I, I'll say no more. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your call. I appreciate it. I do want to mention to our listeners, um, I am familiar with this caller's case, and I want to give you my opinion or my take on the, on the case. So my take on the case is that early on in the case, uh, this uh, caller, who is a very educated person, went on a campaign uh, to try to civilly discuss his case 
with uh, social workers and those higher up um, in the chain of command. And that was done by letters and emails. And it's my opinion that currently he is being retaliated against uh, for those things that he tried to do uh, to try to work out his case and discuss his case. And um, the retaliation, I think, is because of complaints that he's made in writing against social services, you know, all the way up to the County Board of Supervisors. So um, I applaud the the efforts that he gave, but I just want to warn people out there that if you do that by yourself and you go on that type of campaign, there may be uh, retaliation uh, in your future. And social workers can make it very difficult. In his particular case, as he said, one of the children is back home with his wife. Uh, one of the children um, has been alienated against the wife, against the mother and him, the father, and doesn't want to see either of them, which is totally different from when I became involved in the case. Uh, the child wanted to come home and couldn't wait to be, come back home, but slowly they have brainwashed the, this child against the parents. And um, the third child, uh, who can't wait to come home, and to tell the judge how he feels, uh, just got moved to another foster home. Uh, we're going to be having a hearing next week to try to get that child to come home. But it's almost as if if you take a step back and you look at this case, um, it's almost as if the social workers or the social worker has gone out of her way to punish the father. And um, she's doing that using the children. And the children are really suffering um, regarding this. But anyway, I'm going to take another call right now from uh, area code 707, ending in 2-4. Good morning. This is Hello. Attorney Vince Davis. Hello. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? I, I do, a story to tell. Um, and I apologize, I'm getting over Please. cold, so I don't know if you can... Understand. So can you I hear can me? I can hear you loud and clear. Yes. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Um, so if I may, I just it gets a little confusing. So I wanted to start by explaining how I'm related to the children I was caring for. Um, my my mom mm -hmm. is one of six girls, and her younger sister, which is my aunt, has two daughters, which are my cousins. And those two daughters have five children between them. One of my cousins has one child, and the other has four. So five years ago, um, they were being raised by their grandma, which is my aunt, because their moms um, were out on the streets, you know, uh, doing drugs and alcohol and um, not raising the children. So <clears throat> in June of 2012, um, the grandmother was uh, being evicted and was worried she would lose the children to foster care if she was homeless. So she, my mom stepped in and asked if we could help and my mom said she'd take two of the children. My husband and I said we'd take two. And the youngest one was going to stay with the grandma in another aunt's apartment. And while we were just going to take them for a couple weeks while the grandmother got a job and tried to get housing and my aunt, my other aunts were going to help her. Um, but two weeks turned into five years, to make a really long story short. Um, it just, there was no progress. The parents, three of the four parents ended up in jail. Um, so after a few months, we, we kept extending the time we would keep them. First we said, okay, school's approaching. Why don't we give you till the end of the year and we'll sign them up for school. We got these um, scholarships for all four kids in a really good private school. So they were going to go there one semester. But by the end of the year, she still hadn't, gotten a job or no housing. So I started the process of temporary and permanent guardianship so I could have some rights. And <clears throat> because we had gone from a family of three to a family of seven, I didn't even think about being able to afford an attorney. And some people uh, that I knew at work told me how to, to start the paperwork. So 
it took a while, but I did all the paperwork. I managed to do it. I got um, permanent guardianship of the four kids and then the youngest one as well, because eventually he was not, he wasn't being cared for. So I had all five kids and uh, there was two boys and and three girls. Um, When the parents got out of jail and one of the parents went into rehab, they, all the parents and the grandmother kept saying they're going to get the kids back. They're going to hire an attorney. They're going to go to court, but no one would do anything. Um, And after about a year or so, um, one of the moms moved up to where we lived because we we were living three hours from them and said she was going to get the kids back, get all of the kids back. And I told her, you have to go to court. I explained the process. I can't just give the kids to you. Um, But she, I guess, was working as an escort. And when I found out, I didn't think that was, you know, an appropriate job. I was just, it's a small town. They're shady people. So I um, said, why don't we have, like, visitation? So when I started, basically the parents and the grandmother wanted me to be the babysitter. And they wanted to come and go and visit the kids and talk to the kids. But no one was stepping up to take the kids. And I work full time. I have a demanding job. I have health problems. And so, and the kids wanted to, they liked being here and they were thriving, but they wanted eventually to, they were hoping to be able to be raised by their parents. But so I I battled with the parents because anytime I try to have some kind of schedule, they would just become, they would harass me. So um, I went to court. Uh, Well, actually, one of the parents went to court, brought me to court first and asked for visitation. And I said I didn't have a problem with that um, if it was supervised, but the judge wouldn't, wouldn't give me, wouldn't give her supervised visitation. I couldn't prove that she was drinking or doing drugs, which I suspected. And the judge didn't seem concerned that she was an escort and had, you know, different guys that she associated with and sometimes around the kids. So we, we belong. I'm sorry. I said, really? The judge didn't care about that? No, she didn't. It was. And when I tried to have like, could we do like a parenting plan similar to CPS? The judge said, she wasn't allowed to enforce that, and she said um, she did tell the the mom to stop harassing me, and the mom did for a, a while, but the battle continued, and the more I stuck to my ground that if they want the kids back, they have to go to court, but until then, it has to be a, a scheduled visit. Um, the more the parents, the grandmother, and then extended family started getting upset. My mom's other sisters were, why aren't you letting her see the kids? Uh, why don't?" Basically, they wanted to play mom and dad and grandma, but I wanted them to either stay out completely or, um, or step up and take them. I looked into adoption, but because they had never been part of CPS, the state said it would cost us $5,000 per child. And two of the kids needed six thousand dollars worth of braces, though. Wait a minute. We decided. What what state do you yeah. live in? I live in California. Live I live in, in Mendocino. California. You live in what county? California, Mendocino. Oh, okay. Keep going. I'm sorry. So, <clears throat> I went to to CPS a couple of times to ask for help, and. They had said because the children were in a safe place and were thriving that they could not help us. So we continued to support them. And and my the first and biggest mistake I made was when my husband turned to me and said, we have the money to hire an attorney. Why don't we let an attorney do our dirty work? And we don't have to be in and out of court battling them. But because I had was so uh, proud of myself and doing all the permanent guardianship paperwork, I thought, why spend that money when we could use it for the kids, which was a mistake. So it just got worse. And by <clears throat> May of this year, 
um, the mom who had unsupervised visits um, was talking to the kids and they would try to get information out. It was just, it was obvious to the kids. They would tell me that they felt the parents were competing with us. There was competition. Um, So the mom was asking the kids things and the littlest boy who was nine at the time um, told her about how he had fallen asleep last in the fall of 2016, the youngest boy fell asleep watching TV with my husband while I was at the store. And when I came home, he looked like something was wrong, and he said that um, my husband had been mumbling in his sleep and acting weird. And I said, well, what did he do? And he said, well, he put his hand on my chest, and he was trying to unzip my pajamas, and I tried to wake him up but he was asleep and I got scared. So I pushed his arm away and I ran out of the room. So I, I asked him if, you know, he had, where had he touched him? And he said, on my chest. And I asked him if he was okay. And the other kids had heard me talking to him. So they came into the room and my, one of the girls had said, Oh yes, that happened to my mom with my grandfather. And it also happened to this other person. And I've heard of that before. And, so we, we talked, and the little boy, I asked him if he was okay to go to sleep. He went to sleep. And the next morning, I told my husband he was really upset because this little boy was the only one out of the five children that wanted us to adopt him. So he was very close to my husband. My husband was really mm-hmm. worried about him. So we all three sat down and talked. We explained that my husband had started kind of acting out a couple months before that. I didn't think anything of it. And he would, I would, I would ask him the next day, do you remember what you said and what you were doing last night? Just minor things. And so we told, talked to the little boy. He seemed fine, hugged my husband. We reassured him that, you know, we love him. We would never want to hurt him. And, and everything was fine. That was fall of 2016. He, his grades got better. He did better. He was just really doing well. They had been in therapy for, for three and a half years at that point. So the therapist knew our case and everything. So in May of this year, the mother finds out and says, you know, um, she wanted to bring it up with the therapist, but she told me uh, by, by May of this year, the mother and I were going to therapy together. We were getting along. She's my cousin. I wanted to help her get her kids back. So we were doing well. So when she told me she wanted to bring this up at therapy, I said, that's fine. Well, why wouldn't you want to bring it up? She said, I don't want the therapist to make a bigger deal out of it. But my husband and I had nothing to hide. So we knew if we brought it up at therapy, the therapist might have to report it. But we wanted it out in the open. So we allowed, you know, we went to therapy, the mother, we all talked about it. But when the therapist met with the little boy by himself, she said that he told her, that my husband had touched him inappropriately, had touched him on the penis, which my husband doesn't recall. My husband has no recall recollection of anything. He was asleep. The, the little boy <clears throat> never told any of, of us that until after he had that meeting with his mom. And the girls immediately accused him of lying because up until that point, the, he had been lying a lot to the kids, and the kids kept coming to me struggling with his lies and he was in therapy for it so I didn't accuse him of lying because I that's not something you do when a child brings that up so so we continue to go to therapy um the the therapist reported it and we wanted it to be investigated and cleared CPS sent the therapist a letter saying we're closing the case there's nothing for us to investigate um, I don't know if she put the history down. I don't know what the therapist put in the report. But they closed it. And my, the mother, the fathers, the grandmother, and all my, and four of my other aunts all were so upset they called CPS seven times and filed seven different reports against us. So CPS called us in. And when I went in, I told them everything, not I mean, I've learned now I should have had a lawyer. I sat down with my dad and told them everything. The kids 
they interviewed the kids one by one. First they interviewed the kids, then they called me in, and they brought a supervisor when they called me in and said that my husband was a child molester. When I explained what had been happening and everything, everything, um, they were upset that I didn't agree that my husband was a child molester and said I would have to find a place for the kids. And when I told them I didn't have a place for them to go, um, I said maybe the, the, the aunts and the mom have all been arguing, harassing me to get the kids back. Maybe the mom now, she has a job as an escort. She has a house. Maybe you should give the kids to the mom and the mom and the grandma can raise them. So the kids thought they were just going to go for a visit with the mom. So I left and the mom was called. She came down, but she tested positive for meth. CPS claims that they called me several times and texted me, but they claim I ignored their messages even though I had the phone in my hand that whole night because I was talking to my daughter, texting my daughter back and forth, my best friend, they sent one message to me asking for clothes, and that was it. <clears throat> so they said because they couldn't get a hold of me, they put them in emergency child, emergency foster care that night, and the grandmother came and got them two days later. They've been with the grandmother in a motel ever since July 5th. And uh, there is a dispositional hearing, a, ju- a jurisdictional hearing. Um, when I got my court-appointed court attorney, um, I told her at that point I couldn't. The, the social worker told me that it was going to be cross-reported, that my husband would be arrested, that the foster agency where he had worked for 25 years, he was going to get fired from. And I told them, I can't do my 40-hour job, raise these children with my health problems, and go through this with my husband. And CPS said, well, we're not taking the kids. But when I turned them over to the mom, and that didn't work out, they took the kids, gave them to the grandmother, and my court-appointed attorney suggested I make a deal with them, that I drop my legal guardianship in exchange for them dropping all the charges and allegations against my husband and me. So we went to the jurisdictional hearing. They um, they agreed to it, and <clears throat> and uh, when I went to the dispositional hearing to find out where the children were going to be placed, my cousin and one of the boys um, who was closest to my cousin, one of her sons, uh, their attorney said that they both didn't want me in the room, and CPS did not want me in the courtroom, so I was asked to leave. So the last I I know is their dispositional hearing was um, postponed to this week, and the kids are still in a motel. Um, I would like to clear my husband's name. He hasn't been reported to the Child Abuse Index. Um, The detentional report, the detention report was filled with lies from the social worker, the supervisor, just things I never said. Um, horrible things like I she claimed I said that I was in fear of the children being the other four children were molested by my husband never said that she said that I said that my stepdaughter had told me she was afraid of being molested by my husband that my stepdaughter was furious when she heard that they claimed that about her because she's never said that felt that so I don't understand how they can put these lies in these reports that I know family members, this is a small town. I I see people in court that I've known for years that look at me differently now. And I think, have they read the report? Do they think my husband's a child molester? And he never, his job never found out. He was never arrested. Um, And then my aunt, the only aunt my mom is now talking to, she's disowned the other ones, just came to my mom and told her that, that she found out that the other four aunts planned this, that they wanted to get the kids back. And so when they found out about the little boy's story, they they got together and planned to harass CPS until they got the kids.
so they planned it against you? That's what one of my aunts says she found out from another aunt. And I think it's true because of the way my aunts are treating me. These are aunts that I was very, very close to. And not one of them has called me to ask me if the story was true. They just took it and ran with it. And the three daughters, the three girls, are angry with the little boy because and the family because they think they don't want to, they want to be back home. But the little boy with with us, yeah, they were with us five years. The the youngest girl said she spent half of her life with us, which was true. She was 10, and she had lived here for five years. But the little boy, he he asks for my husband every time I visit them. I get visits one hour every two weeks. But my husband's not allowed to even send them a letter or a card or anything. <clears throat> so um, I'm hoping the visits will continue. Our thought was that, and I told the kids, when they turn 18, our home is open. We will help them with the next phase of their life, going to college and stuff. But it's hard for them right now. My fam, my family sure. wanted to ruin our lives. They they said they were gonna, they wanted my husband arrested. They wanted to sue us, but we we won out of the situation. Other than the allegations, I mean, we, my husband wasn't arrested. We have really good jobs. Our money is ours now. Our home is ours now. We have each other. The kids are the ones in a motel for four months with this you know, saying that this could have been worked out better. Um, You know, it's the old saying, no good deed goes unturned. Uh, Yeah. You know, I'm sorry to hear about this story, but I do appreciate you calling in and sharing it with us. If you have a pen, I want to give you some information. Let me know when you're ready. Okay, I'm ready. I want you to write down this telephone number. Triple eight triple eight six five eight two. Call that number um anytime today after nine thirty. Make an appointment to talk to me privately about the case and I can tell you some things that can be done with respect to your husband and clearing his name. Wow. That would be great. Okay. So triple eight triple eight six five eight two. Yes, ma'am. Thank, Thank you, you again so for much, calling Mr. In. Davis. You're welcome. Bye. Bye bye. Okay. Um I'm gonna try to take another call. It will be area code nine oh nine ending in zero seven. Good morning, John, with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Hello? Uh, yeah. Good morning. Um, good morning. How are you doing? Um, yes, I'm, uh, I'm actually a, a new client. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm actually a new client of uh, your law firm. I uh, just came in this week. Uh, I had a hearing on, uh, on Monday um, due to some uh, allegations that were brought upon me uh, due to emotional distress that they're claiming that I caused towards my children. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, to start off, you know, I just had like a really very ugly uh, custody battle going on with the mother of my children. Um, She's always been the type of person to try to incriminate me. Um, She's always been like very jealous and has for the past 10 years has been just like crucially battling me in a a child custody court uh, family law and um, just recently uh, you know came to the next level of uh, trying to incriminate me Um, I was at work Um, she had me arrested her and her mother basically uh, framed me 
um, framed me and uh, made these allegations um, saying that I uh, caused uh, domestic violence towards her. And, uh, you know, basically while I was working, I worked at a barbershop, you know, there was like lots of, uh, had witnesses, I had people all around and, um, you know, I'm in the middle of work, uh, police officers, you know, they came, they said they wanted to speak to me. They asked me to step outside, you know, I asked them, you know, they, they asked, I asked them for what, for what reason. And they said, they just wanted to talk to me. So as soon as I step outside, you know, basically they snatch me up and take me to jail and, you know, press charges against me, um, for domestic violence. Um, so, you know, I spent the, spent the weekend in jail and I was bailed out, but by the time I was out of jail, uh, the mother of my child, of uh, my children, you know, took the extra step to put herself inside of a battered women's shelter. Um, when she got into this battered women's shelter, uh, you know, she started taking advantage of all the resources that they give to battered women. And uh, come to find out, as I got out, she's filed three restraining orders on me in three different courthouses. She filed a restraining order on me in Norwalk, one against me in Pomona, one against me in San Bernardino, where our family, our family law uh, case is in Central District, San Bernardino. Um, she also got CPS involved. Um, first, the San Bernardino CPS was involved. Um, uh, the social worker there in San Bernardino, her name is Paula Johnson, completely misconstrued the things that were actually happening. And she basically said, due to the years and years of domestic violence, that I was emotionally abusing my children, which is kind of, it doesn't make sense because me and the mother who don't live together. Um, she has like falsely accused me of of domestic violence for years, and that's been her tactic to to winning our custody battle. She's actually in the past has filed uh, I want to say seven restraining orders in all efforts, you know, in attempts to try to use that as a a, a means of stripping the custody away. Um, you know, in uh, 2008, I was granted 50/50 custody of our children. And, uh, you know, throughout the, that whole time, um, the mother's always made attempts uh, to try to get my custody stripped away. Um, but now, you know, it feels like it's getting a little bit more intense because she's getting CPS involved. So the social worker, you know, believed her story and substantiated a, a case on me. I was placed on the CACI list. Um, from San Bernardino County, um, I, I uh, filed for a grievance hearing. Um, I actually had that grievance hearing was set for November 20th. Um, and, uh, you know, I actually, uh, you know, I submitted this big packet, you know, with the declaration. I had exhibits showing the nature of, uh, of the case. And uh, San Bernardino County, they felt as if, uh, you know, uh, actually got a notification uh a week and a half ago from San Bernardino County um, asking me to go into one of their offices to sign a, a document um, to waive the to waive uh, the, the grievance hearing because they concluded that, you know, there was insufficient evidence that, you know, that, you know, that I was actually abusing the children emotionally or mentally. Um, the social worker, well, the grievance, the people in the grievance department, you know, they said, uh, you know, that they came to the conclusion that, you know, yeah, I might have been arrested, but it wasn't enough evidence to, to say that um, the kids were emotionally being abused because of domestic violence because, you know, it was pretty much untrue. And, you know, the findings that they came across was that, it, you know, that was inconclusive. So they had me sign a paper to remove me from the list. Well, the mother of my children, um, well, not only did she get San Bernardino um, uh, social services um, involved, she also got Los Angeles social services involved um, because uh, she resided in San Bernardino County and um, she took herself into a domestic violence shelter in LA County. So they got the LA County uh, social workers involved also. So there was a case. Uh, so they opened the case in LA County and uh, basically uh, I'm being charged for the same allegations, the same issues were that were addressed in San Bernardino 
are now being addressed in Los Angeles County. But the, the thing now is this new social worker, I feel, you know, she was, I don't know, she developed some type of relationship with the mother. And uh, the mother is just, you know, and, and and she's just making up all these stories because she feels like, you know, this social worker was on her side and is just making up all these stories, all these allegations. Um, you know, she's basically, I have, you know, the kids, they've been taken away from me since August 4th. Um, due to this pending criminal matter, um, you know, which is going to, we're going to trial, um, in, uh, in December over, over these false allegations. I have so many witnesses, so many people that are around, um, you know, uh, you know, I have like a very, very strong, strong case, you know, I don't understand how, you know, somebody that's innocent could be convicted of something, or I don't understand why the DA is, uh, pressing forward uh it's a young da she's fresh into this uh in the court system and you know my attorney's saying that uh um basically uh you know usually when it's a young da like that they tend to want to just press press the issue um, to the very end so we're dealing with that but in the meantime since it's been pending for so long uh, a pending criminal case is like very is it looks very bad on my on my part um so you know Social workers in LA, they got involved, um, and uh, basically, this social worker, you know, she really didn't, uh, really, uh, she wasn't communicating with me at all. Um, I did uh, once I got that paper from San Bernardino saying that those allegations were dropped. I did fax that over to the social worker in LA, and basically, that same day that I faxed over that paper, she gave me a call back in the in the afternoon saying that they were closing the case. And they felt that the children should be uh, detained from me, and uh, that there was a there would be a hearing on Monday, which was this Monday. Um, and uh, so, you know, we get to we get to this uh, dependency court in Monterey Park, and honestly, like I'm looking, I'm seeing, kind of just observing what's going on in this place, and it just seems like a major racketeer. Like these people are just uh, destroying families, like on a mass level, like on a major scale. And, um, you know, once I was given the petition, I was able to look at the petition, um, that was filed against me, um, completely, like it was a complete exaggerated, uh, exaggerated, uh, report, uh, against me. Um, also those, uh, I want to say like nine counts against the mother of, uh, physically abusing the children. Um, it's somewhere inside the petition where it was also said that uh, she was reported for actually abusing the children while she's inside the shelter. But CPS recommended to the judge that the kids stay in her. And right now, the kids are remaining in her care inside of this anonymous uh, shelter that I have no idea where is at. I have no idea what school they're going to. Um, I've been having a joint legal, joint physical, physical custody with my children for the past 10 years and off of a false allegation, um, you know, due to, uh, you know, the mother just desiring full custody and desiring, you know, child support. And she just, I think, just made a complete mess of, you know, of our child custody case, you know, and, uh, you know, her, uh, you know, just cooperating with CPS and uh, basically, uh, you know, doing what they want to do. They just have her in the shelter. I believe that that's one of the reasons why they want to keep in her care to, you know, so they have to like, you know, strict control over the children. And, you know, I, I was able to see my, my children in dependency court on Monday. And they just, uh, my kids are not even the same anymore. It's only been, it's only been about four months and I could tell my kids are changing. Um, their attitude against me, um, my my kids, you know, they they're having this attitude as if um, they're not allowed to talk to me, and um, you know, it really hurts because you know me and my kids have a very strong relationship, um, and I don't know what these people are doing to my kids, but they're not acting the same. Uh, they did see me, and once they saw me in the hallways, you know, they ran up to me, and you know, they gave me a hug, and they're sitting around me. And, you know, we're sitting at the table and, 
um, I guess I feel like the mother, you know, my kids, she was upset that the kids wanted to talk to me. Um, she ran to the bailiff and told the bailiff that the kids are not allowed to talk to me and that I can't sit next to the kids. So the bailiff came over and um, took the kids away, you know, and my son, you know, he was, a. Uh, I felt like that was emotionally disturbing to my son because he even told the, the bailiff, like, why am, why are you guys not allowing me to talk to my dad? I want to talk to my dad. And they said, well, you can't talk to him right now. And they pulled him away and they put him in this little room. And um, I don't understand why I'm being detained. Um, there, you know, these allegations, uh, this charge against me saying that I'm emotionally abusing my children because of domestic violence, which is not true. They're detaining the kids from me, but on the petition, I'm seeing that the social worker put numerous counts against the mother for abuse, but they're recommending that the kids stay with her. And I really don't understand why they would even make that type of decision. And uh, so, uh, you know, I really, you know, at this point in time, you know, I just don't know what to do, you know? And, um, you know, uh, there are... Uh, Did you say that you are a new client with my law firm? Yes. Yes, I you am. You have a pen and a um, piece of paper. Let yes, me know when you're ready to write something down. Okay. do have an appointment with uh, one of the attorneys that was appointed to me in your in your firm on uh, on Tuesday. Um, I was told to go in at, at 12. Um, okay. Well, make sure make sure that I can be there with you and the attorney okay. at 12 when you call today after okay. 9.30. And if I can't, okay. you're going to reschedule that meeting so that the three of us can meet together. Okay. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Thank you. you. It sounds like you have a very good case to defense to get your children back. And based upon some of the things that you mentioned, you might have a lawsuit against the County of Los Angeles and this social worker. And so we're going to be discussing that as well. I'm good? Uh, most definitely. Yes. Most definitely. Okay. Thank well, I you. look forward to seeing you next week, and thank you for calling in and sharing your story. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. 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 Okay, we're running out of time today. I'm going to try to take one last call. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Good morning. Hello. Hello. Okay, maybe this is a person who just wanted to listen this morning. 
and we have a few more minutes that I can go back to the topic that we were um, discussing first this morning, and that's tips with respect to certain different types of cases. So I gave you a tip regarding the 366.26 hearing, and I'm going to work backwards to the hearing where your family reunification services were either not offered or terminated. That generally happens at the 366.21F hearing. It can happen at the 366.21E hearing, and it can happen at the dispositional hearing very early on in the case. The tip is this. If you disagree with what the judge has done in not offering you family reunification services, or not offering you or terminating your family reunification services, I want you to make sure that you and your attorney file something called a notice of intent to file a writ. Not a notice of appeal, a notice of intent to file a writ. That is the only vehicle you can use to appeal a decision not giving you family reunification services or terminating your family reunification services. They call it a writ. It actually is an appeal in my opinion, but it's handled differently procedurally. So let me give you what happens. Now, funny thing, I was just talking to a very experienced attorney um, earlier this week, and, and he told me something that he had done uh, and was able to correct, but you don't want to do this. If your family reunification services are terminated or if you're not offered family reunification services, you do not file a notice of appeal. You file a notice of intent to file a writ. There is a big difference between those two. They are different forms. They are handled by different uh, laws and rules in the state of California. So don't make the mistake where you file a notice of appeal when you should have filed a notice of intent to file a writ. If you file a notice of appeal by mistake, uh, you may lose your right to appeal the termination of your reunification services or um, the judge deciding not to give you reunification services at all. Working our way back, we're going to talk about the 366.21 e-hearing. It's a hearing that occurs uh, six months after the disposition hearing. And the tip that I have for folks today for that hearing is, like all hearings, um, you should probably, if the recommendation is not to return the child to you, you should probably set a hearing for contest or trial. Now, the trick on that is is that in some courtrooms, um, on the day of the hearing, they expect you to go forward with the trial if you're not in agreement with the child remaining out of your custody. So prior to the hearing, you have to be in contact with your attorney and make sure that if you're going to have to go to hearing on that first six-month review date or go to trial on that first six-month review date, that you have all your witnesses subpoenaed and ready to go, and you and your attorney have a plan to move forward on that date. In the majority of courtrooms, you show up on that six-month date, and if you're not in agreement with the social worker's recommendation to keep the child out of your custody, you want to set a trial. Um, what I hear a lot of times is that, well, the attorney suggested, my attorney suggested that we just continue it for another six months uh, and I'll get the children back then. In my opinion, in most cases, not all, but in most cases, that's a very bad strategy. And it may be, not always, but it may be your attorney's true belief or it may be your attorney just not wanting to do another trial for you. Um, and it all depends on what you've done and accomplished in the six-month period. Uh, so generally, you want to set that case for trial um, so that you can get the children back or get more reunification services or get the children moved to a relative. Um, so that's my tip for the 366.21E hearing. 
moving back, we have what's called the disposition hearing. And we're running out of time today. So what I'm going to do is next week when we uh, see each other on the radio, we'll discuss about the disposition hearing, the jurisdictional hearing, and the detention hearing. And what we'll do is we'll also discuss what you can do uh, before a case is filed against you um, by the social worker in the Juvenile Dependency Court. So I want to thank all of you for listening today, and I'll see you next week on the radio. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 